Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. Yep, I'm here. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. I too am here. Chris, back from Los Angeles where the Sun Devils fell 41 to 20 at the hands of the USC Trojans. It really wasn't that close. It was 7-6 at one point in the second quarter. USC goes on a roll. 34 consecutive points, gets up 41-6. to Manny Wilkins hurt in the process for ASU. Just about everything unraveled from that 4-0 start for the Sun Devils. A harsh dose of reality coming at them in the Coliseum. You were there. Just your initial takeaways from that game before we really get into the specifics. A lot of the uh, problems that ASU's had in earlier games were uh, exposed in, in a greater way uh, against the USC. There's... Uh, a lot of challenges on the back end in the secondary, particularly at their bandit and field corner positions uh, that USC was able to take advantage of. Uh, ASU's young offensive line was exploited more in this game. Part of that was a great scheme by Clancy Pendergast, the uh, very experienced USC defensive coordinator uh, with a lot more blitz pressure than they demonstrated in earlier games this season, and ASU's not being necessarily prepared for that. And then Manny Wilkins being a first-year starter, going on the road in a tough environment, certainly the hardest place he's had to play to this point in his career, and some missed opportunities as a result of that. And then uh, there there were uh, some uh, unexpected mistakes, such as Tim White having a couple drops, and Demario Richard had a 15-yard penalty that was very costly. When you're when you're uh, talented veteran players uh, make those kinds of mistakes. It's going to really hurt you. Elihu Mokiel also had a bad missed tackle uh, on one of USC's longest plays from scrimmage. So you put all that together and you're, you're going to uh, lose uh, to a, a talented athletic team when you're on the road and that's what happened. The number one thing that jumps out from this game is Manny Wilkins' health. He gets hurt in the second quarter. He took a few really difficult blows early in the uh, first half against USC. A couple that I, I honestly didn't think watching from home that he would get up from. I'm not sure what you thought in the stadium, but this continues to be a trend for Wilkins as he just leaves himself exposed on certain run plays and scrambles, and then ultimately he pays the price in the second quarter, uh, goes down with an apparent ankle injury, and does not recover in time to come back for the game. Todd Graham said that the x-rays were negative and that they received good good news on Wilkins, but we don't know how long he's going to be out, and it's unlikely he'll be able to play this week against UCLA. Brady White came in, and the offense was stagnant three, three and outs in the third quarter. Uh, White didn't really have an opportunity to show much in the second quarter, but finally did get the offense going once USC really called off the dogs in the fourth quarter. And White, you know, showed a little bit, six for 11 passing, 80 yards, but ASU loses Manny Wilkins. Yeah, ASU was in a lot of trouble by the time Brady White was in the game, the way that second quarter went, Kerry, and totally agree with you. We've said it uh, for weeks now on the podcast Manny Wilkins is going to have to take fewer shots. And uh, I think a lot of it comes down to when he scrambles, he scrambles to run and tucks the ball much more than scrambling to extend plays, try to uh, throw the football. And he does so in a very upright way. And he's too small for that. Uh, When you have athletic defenders uh, who are able to close on you, he got stood up by McCoy. I thought he was going to get hurt there. There was another player where I thought he was going to get hurt. Uh, He was under duress because ASU's offensive tackles didn't do a very good job in this game. Evan Goodman was getting beat by Porter Gustin. Uh, We saw Quinn Bailey struggle on the right side so much so that they made a change there for one series, but then Zach Robertson gave up a sack. Um, So part of it's not on Wilkins, but part of it is when you have to scramble, scramble to try to throw the football, use your elusiveness and your ability to extend plays uh, 
as a way of getting outside of the pocket, uh, let your receivers kind of work back and, and figure things out uh, in, in more of a um, freelance capacity and um, see what you can do there or throw the football away if you need to. You can't just scramble around and take a bunch of hits in, in a half of football. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately for ASU and for Wilkins, that resulted in him ending up on crutches by halftime. Now, the plan today is to do a shorter Sun Devil Source Report podcast so that we can also do a Sun Devil Source Premium Report podcast for the Devil's Sanctuary members, for the uh, Sun Devil Source members. And we're going to talk a lot about Brady White and what his presence will bring to the offense this week, presuming that he would get the start against UCLA if Wilkins is not good to go. A number of other issues for ASU that we'll talk about, ASU's tackling struggles, its secondary personnel rotations. We'll get into all of that in the Premium Report podcast podcast that should be up by tomorrow on Sun Devil Source. But the quarterback issues that ASU had in this game weren't the only thing that was off with the offense. The Sun Devils had no ability to attack the perimeter of USC's defense through the run game. You saw Demario Richard end up with under 30 yards rushing. They couldn't get things going up the middle. And Kalen Blage, six rushes, nine yards, just a non-factor. So what the Trojans were doing uh, when ASU went to any heavier personnel grouping, two tight ends, uh, then USC would counter with its own heavier five-man fronts. They tend to do a good job with uh, Porter Gustin and, and Uusu, uh, their kind of edge force defenders of corralling that those stretch zone uh, and outside zone sort of plays, and that brings action back inside. Of course, they have Cameron Smith, the guy we talked about in the preview, as one of the best inside linebackers. I think Hutchinson had uh, probably one of his better games uh, for USC in this game uh, against the run in particular. They won at the line of scrimmage uh, against uh, a younger ASU offensive line, especially that right side has been a little bit challenged in some of the run blocking. And Chip Lindsey pretty quickly in this game, I think, identified this, and he was trying to get some run replacements going. That ended up not really working out so well. Well, um, you need to stay on schedule in order to move the football and, and get a bunch of first downs and, and any given drive to then score. And in this game, ASU had 12 second and long situations at seven yards or more, 12 of them in the first half alone, 15 through the first three quarters of the game. And that's only because ASU didn't pick up a first down in the third quarter. Correct. So, you know, ASU, there was Chip Lindsey was kind of pulling a rabbit out of the hat in the first quarter because they would get in those second and long situations and they still got some first downs. They still moved the football well, probably three drives, uh, only came away with six points. Todd Graham lamented that fact. In the press conference uh, today, uh, they had a Manny Wilkins turnover and some other things that where they shot themselves in the foot. But, uh, but really, you you have to have much more success on first downs. They had I think 18 y- yards rushing in, in the first quarter. That's not a good situation to put your uh, new quarterback in. Uh, and ASU did have some plays where they were able to take advantage of some one-on-one situations, especially to Jalen Harvey working against Iman Marshall on the field side. We talked about Iman Marshall being kind of an overrated player for a five-star prospect at this stage of his development uh, in our written uh, preview of the game. But but that kind of all went away as the game wore on, and, and USC just uh, enhanced its, uh, its edge until it was kind of garbage mode and ASU got a couple of scores that were meaningless at the end. We thought ASU might be able to attack USC and Iman Marshall, as you said, with Jalen Harvey, perhaps even Cameron Smith, if he was going to play a role in this game. We said that in the expert preview. One of the other things that we said on the premium podcast last week 
week was that we thought that ASU might have a chance to go over the middle in this game against USC's defense, particularly because Michael Hutchings is a bit of a liability in pass coverage. We thought it could be a big game for Cody Cole. He emerges with no receptions. Is that on the quarterbacks, the play calling? Why was that the case? It's always a combination of factors. Um, Adore Jackson played really well against Nikhil Harry. We knew that Nikhil Harry's production that he had in earlier games of the season was going to be curtailed to some degree when you go against Adoree Jackson in USC. A lot of that first read stuff that they would normally target uh, Nikhil Harry was not open for Wilkins. I thought there, that's why Tim White became a lot more of a factor both in the screen game and then also like the run replacement stuff and then also kind of working towards the middle of the field. Of course, he had a big drop on the fourth and three play. That was really key. Uh, Demario Richard was open over the middle on that play. So when we talk about the, the middle being open, USC had brought pressure inside on, on blitz. They usually use their linebackers coming forward and then maybe they drop one linebacker. That was giving ASU some problems from a protection standpoint. We're going to talk about that more in the premium, but uh, I think there was just some missed opportunities for Wilkins to go to where he probably should have gone with the football, and then also maybe Chip Lindsey didn't uh, try to exploit that to the degree that I, I probably think he should have. Now, before we get into ASU's defensive issues from this game, and there were plenty, we're going to talk about a key second quarter stretch where the game really got away from the Sun Devils. Remember, ASU was within one point of USC for a lot of the early part of this game. The, the whole Sun Devils, first quarter, pretty much. The Sun Devils had opportunities over the top. They they didn't necessarily hit them. They couldn't convert in the red zone on touchdowns, so they turned into field goals. It was 7-6, and then a key second quarter, second quarter stretch occurs. ASU turned the ball over on downs. There was a Tim White drop in there. Uh, USC field goal. ASU punts out of its own end zone after a key chop block from Demario Richard set the Sun Devils back. Justin Davis on the first play from scrimmage after that punt goes 37 yards for a touchdown, and then it's 24-6. Manny Wilkins gets hurt after that, and ASU just doesn't recover. Yeah, it took really about six minutes or so, uh, uh, under seven minutes left in the second quarter. You have ASU with the ball inside of USC's territory, the 42-yard line. They have a third-and-three situation. USC brings a blitz pressure. Uh, Manny Wilkins throws the ball pretty quickly to a one-on-one situation with Ellis Jefferson uh, working against one of USC's defensive backs, but he was covered completely. You have Ellis Jefferson, a guy who hasn't made a lot of breaking plays down the field in coverage. Uh, and so is that really where you want to go with the football in that situation? I would say probably not. And then on fourth down after a timeout, they had a play that got uh, the ball that Tim White uh, kind of on a uh, curl uh, into the, the right right beyond the, the first down marker, but it was kind of well defended. Tim White probably should have made the catch. The ball was located properly, but he dropped it. There was DeMario Richard over right over the open right over the middle uh, on that play where USC brought two linebackers Manny Wilkins didn't, I don't think, see that. Um, Richard expressed some frustration, it seemed like, with some of his body language on the field after he waved his hand in the air like, man, I was open. I think that was a missed opportunity. And then USC gets the ball in good field position because of ASU going for it there. Ended up getting a field goal out of it. Uh, and then on the next uh, possession for ASU, uh, you, you had the Demario Richard shot block, which uh, negated an eight-yard uh, scramble by Manny Wilkins. It should have been second and two. Instead, it was first and 25. Then they have two negative plays after that, one of which I believe was uh, um, the sack that was given up by uh, um, Zach Robertson when he went into the game at right tackle. So then ASU is punting from its own end zone. You Then the next play uh, that USC has great field position on the on its immediate ensuing drive uh, gets a, a touchdown run off the right side. 
That was enabled by two things. Number one, A.J. Latu has just moved right off on uh, on the zone uh, blocking, and he was playing an end position as opposed to devil backer because they were trying to get Wicker into some matchups on the boundary. Well, that means you had to have better uh, anchor on that field side end. He wasn't able to do it. And then James Johnson, who had replaced Jamarcus Rhodes because Rhodes had been struggling at Bandit, uh, was got sucked up inside of it. And that's a touchdown. So the game then started to get away from ASU. And then uh, after that, uh, I was 24-6. to six. Then Manny Wilkins gets hurt with a minute or so left uh, in the half after another uh, sequence in which ASU's offensive line didn't have a good rep. And the route was really on at that point. Yeah, ASU just did not defend that Justin Davis play well, and there were some, there were many bad angles taken on that play by ASU's defenders. James Johnson obviously had a great had a great opportunity to stop Davis and prevent USC from scoring on the first play after a punt return by Adoree Jackson helped set up USC with good field position. But nevertheless, ASU's angles were bad all night, and I think the player that best exemplifies that for USC was Juju Smith-Schuster, who just exposed ASU's defense for the second year in a row. Smith-Schuster goes over 100 yards receiving, and really ASU could not contain him. He took uh, the hitch uh, on the field side with DeMario, um, pardon me, with Deshavon Hayes in man coverage there. Not an easy tackle to make against an athletic guy like Smith-Schuster. because he had a kind of a, about a two or three yard run up where he had to sort of uh, break down and make that tackle. He gets sidestepped, takes it to the house. That was like a 67 yard touchdown or something, I believe. But And that was just sort of the final straw that broke the camel's back when it came to missed tackles. In the first half alone, you had Jamarcus Rhodes had two uh, missed tackles that were bad, That uh, one of which resulted in a USC touchdown at least. Uh, DJ Calhoun had a difficult um, uh, attempted tackle, but one that he probably makes a majority of the time. And even Lyle Mokiola, who's one of ASU's best players, got sidestepped uh, by a running back, and that resulted in, in, in one of USC's many explosive plays. So all over the place. And, and uh, Todd Graham said this week, um, it's not a lack of, of desire or, or heart or whatever you want to call it. Uh, there were just technical breakdowns that they had with some of the longer range uh, 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 tackles that they had to make. You, There's a, a lot of things we're going to talk about on this part of it uh, on the premium podcast t- from a technical standpoint, but certainly uh, that was as big as any factor for the ASU defense. Yeah, ASU's defense really struggling. and. We'll talk about the rotations and what ASU could potentially do to change things up defensively, yes. put it put its personnel in better situations. But one thing that we absolutely have to highlight is the fact that ASU played four different players at Bandit Safety. Jamarcus Rhodes got the start, and we've seen him in and out of the lineup. Then James Johnson goes in, and Todd Graham said today at his press conference, James Johnson's still not completely healthy, and he's never been a big impact player for ASU. So why he's in there, still uncertain. Laiu Mokiola eventually has to switch from Spur to go play Bandit safety because ASU was just out of options at that point. And then the Sun Devils finished the game with the man who started the season at the position, that's Chad Adams. And Adams had been relegated to third, fourth on the depth chart, probably wasn't going to see any playing time, but the Sun Devils basically needed to change their bodies. They, they just needed someone in there who knew what they were doing. Yeah, and then on top of that, 
there was some unhappiness with Dejavon Hayes, the guy that we talked about who had the missed tackle uh, at that field corner position and led ASU's coaches to put Bryson Eccles in the game. He hasn't had any real success when he's been out there, uh, either at corner or at, at nickel. Uh, and so the, those substitutions essentially tell you that the ASU's defensive coaches are very uncomfortable with what they have at those two positions because they're just really struggling to find something that can work and they haven't found it. And it, it's not really been related to the coverage, whether they've been playing man or zone coverages, they've, they've had these uh, catastrophic breakdowns or missed tackles. And that was uh, on display. And and Juju Smith Schuster in particular is a guy who's going to make you pay when that happens. So a few things that I still want to get to in this podcast, one of them is last week in our expert preview, we said that if ASU beat USC and beat the Trojans bad, that Clay Helton might be coaching for his job. ASU gets up in the first quarter, 3 nothing. Zane Gonzalez kicks a key field goal, and then the Sun Devils stop USC on a third and short play and set USC up in its own territory inside its own 40-yard line. And Clay Helton, with one of the all-time bizarre decisions, elects to go for it on fourth down, giving ASU an opportunity to stop the Trojans. And that's exactly what they do. Salam Fiso comes in and makes the play. And this is just an example of a situation where ASU had the chance to turn the momentum, couldn't do so. Manny Wilkins ends up throwing an interception on fourth down after that scenario. So ASU can't capitalize on, third on that. Down. On third down, actually. So it was basically an arm punt that put USC inside its own five-yard line. And then, later in the game, we said that really one of the matchups to watch this week was not between the players, but between the coaches. And it's Chip Lindsey and Clancy Pendergast. So Helton makes that bizarre decision early in the game. Hasn't shown a great command to help USC as its head coach, but he was bailed out by his defensive coordinator having an outstanding performance, dialing up pressures that Todd Graham said ASU hadn't seen this season and out coaching Chip Lindsey on that side of the ball. I think that sometimes you talk yourself into certain things. Helton and USD had talked about going for it more on fourth downs, not kicking field goals, just doing some more aggressive things with the decision-making. But that was a bad time and, and, and situation in the game to be going the way that they did. Uh, but then uh, they also talked in advance about blitzing more and, and being more aggressive, and then that ended up really working out. I think Clancy Pendergast did have a really great approach to this game. I think it was it was difficult for Chip Lindsey, given that you have a young young quarterback, your young offensive line, you're playing on the road. Um, I think maybe ASU should have tried to run the ball more on first down, but I understand at some level why they didn't. Uh, but just almost at every opportunity uh, in in the in the late in the first quarter, through the second quarter, and even then early in the third quarter, ASU just failed to make the most of its opportunities or just um, had a big um, breakdown that uh, didn't prevent a lot, didn't allow it to get back into the football game. We of course saw that this has been a second half team earlier in the season uh, and they've come back, but they put themselves in the biggest hole they've been in all year against USC. And then USC buried them with it in the, coming out of, in the third quarter. And the game was really over at that point. Of course, uh, when you have a backup quarterback, that, that makes it a lot more uh, challenging as well. So let's get some big picture perspective on this game for ASU. 
came into it 4-0, an opportunity to really take control in the Pac-12 South, put itself up there with Colorado, get a game ahead, one of the L.A. schools and USC. Remember, UCLA already has that loss to Stanford on its ledger. So the Sun Devils had a prime opportunity, but winning on the road in the Pac-12 is difficult to do. They dropped a 4-1. They lose their quarterback. Manny Wilkins. Does losing Wilkins for maybe UCLA, maybe he's also gone for Colorado, say he's gone for two games, does that change your outlook on the season for ASU? And what do you take away from ASU now being 4-1 and one after five weeks? Well, I think that they were fortunate to be 4-0 to start with. I don't want to say that that was necessarily fool's gold, but uh, ASU wasn't a team that we ever thought was going to go out there and win nine or ten football games this season. Not from before camp, after camp, after watching the team play for three or four weeks. Just thought that maybe this was probably still going to be like a 7-5 and five team, 6-6 six and six team if, if they didn't get some breaks in Pac-12 play. Still think that's the case. Uh, certainly that loss uh, shined a bright light on some of their uh, key issues that they have, but there were issues that we already knew about. The secondaries got problems and they're going to struggle in a lot of regards the quarterback play is young and inexperienced and that's going to be an issue the offensive line has got some uh, challenges and uh, with inexperience and understanding how to adjust the things on the fly all those things reared their heads in this game and in the loss uh, i think asu probably still going to be a six or seven win team no no real different um didn't didn't feel like after four wins that ASU had dramatically outperformed my expectations. It just happened to win some of those games. And even though we did predict USC would win this this game, but I thought it would be closer mm-hmm. and better played to some degree by ASU, um, it got away from them. I thought they did have a, a chance to have it a, be a close, well-played game that they just weren't able to execute. Uh, but, um, you know, even, even with... Manny Wilkins maybe missing a game or two games or however many games a month, whatever it ends up being. I don't think the quarterback play is going to be that diminished from Brady White that it then all of a sudden substantially lowers your win expectation. Uh, so, yeah, so I think this is probably, you know, a 500 or a little bit better football team. Uh Substantially lowering lowering the win expectation is difficult at this point in the season. I remember during the ASU-Cal game a few weeks ago, there was a post on the sanctuary that said, would ASU get to four wins? And about, about a half hour later, that was they dur- eventually dur- did. During the fourth game. Yeah, <laughs> during I mean, the second half of the fourth game. I mean, you, you could really lower your win expectation if, if, you, if you have to play Drew Stanton at quarterback near the Arizona Cardinals, right? But yeah, yes. with ASU going from Wilkins to White, it's not really going to probably change all that much. I still think this is probably uh, a bowl team, but it never was going to be, in my opinion, it was never going to be, even with some softness in the Pac-12 South, the team that we expected to win the, the division. So, UCLA coming to town this week. The Bruins already with a Pac-12 loss to Stanford, but a victory over Arizona. The reason I bring up UCLA is because I want to talk a little bit about the historical perspective on this game, at least in recent history. The road team has won the last four games in this contest. I think Todd Graham has actually only lost six games at home during his tenure, two of which are to UCLA, 45-43 in 2012, and then 62-27 in 2014. Backup quarterback playing in 2014, it was Mike Berkovici making his first career start for the Sun Devils. 
They played him close during the first half, and then Berkovici threw the pick six to Ishmael Adams, and everything began to unravel for ASU there. 2012, Taylor Kelly, I believe it was early in conference play when those two teams met, and UCLA ends up winning that game 45-43, a game-winning field goal. Kelly was in his first year as a Pac-12 starter, but 2010, ASU also was using a backup quarterback. That was Brock Osweiler coming into the game. Yeah, uh, it's been some some funky things that have happened with uh, ASU, just like USC, also with ASU-UCLA. That loss that they took the last time these two teams played here has to be right up there with as the worst loss, probably, that ASU suffered in, um, uh, at the hands of a Pac-12 opponent. Um, giving up 60 points at home to UCLA, is, that's... that's um, gonna hurt and like you said they've done extremely well at home Todd Graham uh, said this week that you basically have to win all your home Pac-12 games if you're gonna emerge on top uh, of your division and 6-0 and last week also is a great example of uh, the advantage that home teams have in the league something that we asked Graham about this week uh, ASU is an underdog in this game, understandably so. You have in UCLA uh, uh, Josh Rosen, who's arguably the best quarterback in the league, certainly in the top tier of quarterbacks in the league with Davis Webb, maybe Browning at Washington. Uh, their defense has played relatively solid, probably better than expected. And then you have Brady White, who's going to be making his first start probably, unless uh, Manny Wilkins has some miraculous uh, comeback. So UCLA is favored by 7.5 points. I think that's very reasonable. And um, just given that the caliber of athletes that UCLA has and, and uh, ASU's challenges uh, with its secondary going to probably persist against a really good quarterback, it's hard to figure that ASU should be uh, favored in this football game. 38-23, I believe, was the score of ASU-UCLA last season when the Sun Devils really stunned the Bruins at the Rose Bowl last year. That was surprising. That Kalen Balazs touchdown that became iconic for the way he found his way into the end zone from about the 20-yard line. The moonwalk. That was that was just uh, quite, a, quite a surprising result. So we'll probably both end up picking UCLA this week. We'll both watch much more film on the Bruins and uh, think about the different matchups that are presented, but gotta watch practice, see how Demario Richard recovers from missing the second half, mm-hmm. see if there's anything going on with the possibility of Wilkins trying to play, um, and other variables. I mean, obviously, uh, Viliami Latu didn't play mm-hmm. against USC. I think that was a factor. He's an important player. They had Edmund Boateng out there with more reps than he probably would have otherwise gotten. Uh, that uh, was an issue. And uh, Christian Sam still hasn't played since the first game of the season. This he, could be the opportunity for Christian so, Sam. So we're so we got to see some of these things before we also uh, decide how we're going to go with our predictions of this game. So let's talk about the Pac-12. Time for our Pac-12 Weekly Roundup. The first game that took place this week came on Friday night. It was Washington-Stanford. Washington was the home team, and that was key because all six home teams won this week in the Pac-12, and five of those games were blowouts. I don't think anyone expected Washington to just wipe the floor with Stanford. That's When's the last time that Stanford's taken a loss like that? Buddy Tevens era. It's been many years. <laughs> yeah, you have to go back to maybe what USC was able to do to Stanford for a while during yeah. the Pete Carroll era uh, to, 
to see a game like that. And it was just such an efficient performance by Washington. It wasn't even necessarily a super high yardage output, but just touchdowns on every opportunity mm-hmm. and very limiting of Christian McCaffrey. And you see in a game like this how important all the other players are on the field to enabling the success of a Heisman caliber running back like McCaffrey who got completely bottled up. Washington is for real. Um, you know it's for real. Uh, 5-0, and and now you have a coaching staff that is uh, deciding to not let their players talk to the media <laughs> anymore because maybe they were getting a little bit tight. Uh, that, that was what they did at, at Boise State. They're famous for um, not allowing a lot of access uh, to the media. So, um, yeah, very impressive. I didn't expect it. Uh, and I, I'm not sure who really did. I expected Washington to actually be able to pass the ball against Stanford because both of Stanford's starting cornerbacks were out in that game. Three defensive injuries. I yeah. did not expect Washington to be able to win the line of scrimmage quite like they did. That was as impressive a performance as we've seen this season, especially Washington coming off a close road game against Arizona that it needed overtime to win. So it just goes to show you how much home field impacts results in the Pac-12. So now that Washington's ranked fifth, Stanford's dropped back to 15th. Washington's opponent this week is an Oregon team that it hasn't beat in the last 12 years, and an Oregon team that gave up 300 yards rushing to Mike Leach's Washington State squad in a blowout. 300 yards rushing in a blowout loss One more time. to Washington State. <laughs> I, have to, I have to actually fact-check myself on that before I can say it a third time. That, that's where you have to take your blood alcohol content and make sure it's <laughs> 0.00 before you even say that out loud. Um, man, like, what is going on? Mark Helfrich is, like, on the doorstep of getting fired, it seems like, at Oregon because when's the last time the Ducks were 2-3 and three overall and 0-2 uh, to start, and then they got to play Washington. Yeah, they're probably going to be zero and three to start the Pac-12 since it was a Pac-12. You know, like probably since a lot of years going back into the Pac-10. Uh, this is like pre-Chip Kelly type stuff, and they have on both sides of the ball very significant issues that I don't see getting resolved anytime soon. Dakota Prukop doesn't appear to be the answer at quarterback no. for the Ducks. They were playing a, fr- a true freshman in the end of that game against Washington State, someone who wasn't even highly recruited, I don't believe, and they're going with just all sorts of quarterback issues. Brady Hoke is not an answer as the defensive coordinator is clearly evidenced by that score. So Washington State now 1-0 in conference play, 2-2 two and two overall on the season. The other game involving uh, two Pac-12, well, There were two North squads that we haven't talked about just yet. Uh, Let's talk first about Cal, 1-1 now in conference play after a goal line stand. Washington State rushes for 300 yards. Cal wins on a goal line stand against Utah. Well, they they needed the sparky package, (laughs) I think, is what became apparent there. But, again, that's a toss-up game. The the line was super close. Um the home field advantage is such a big thing, and in, in, in as, as you, you mentioned a couple times, in six and zero, that game nothing really surprising about that game, other than maybe a goal line stand from a team that <laughs> that allowed eight rushing touchdowns against uh, ASU. Texas Tech allowed eight rushing. Oh, touchdowns sorry, against ASU. Texas Tech did. My Ka- bad. Cal has just allowed three hundred yards rushing to everybody. They let they let everybody score the yeah. ball on the yeah. on the ground all year. Also, Utah either passed on third and goal from the one or fourth and goal from the one. It was one of those two plays. Why are you doing that? Was it a read option play? I didn't see it. I 
I did not see enough of it. Because the they had some highlight. success with that against USC, but yeah. then, I mean, yeah. But if it's a read option play, your first five reads should be run against Cal. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, Utah has been great at home, and then on the road, it needs to play almost mistake-free football given some of the athletic limitations at skill, player, at skill positions. And, and so you can't really be surprised by that outcome. UCLA with a big Pac-12 South win over Arizona. If you stayed up until midnight to watch the end of that one, you saw that the Wildcats were on their ninth quarterback of the game. <laughs> Khalil Tate, 17-year-old oh freshman. Gosh. He looks talented. Khalil Tate looks like he could end up being a good quarterback if he can stay healthy, and that's impossible to do in Rich Rodriguez's offense. They just put their quarterback into such bad situations. It's such it's a run spread. Those guys are running out of the pocket with the football and reading the defense on the fly as they go, and they're susceptible to taking big hits. They've had quarterbacks that have had concussion problems, and guys have, to, have had all kinds of injuries. Um, but it's a it's a run based thing with your quarterback, and so it just is going to be a challenge. There's really no way that you could address that other than basically changing your scheme to some uh, extent. Um, can't be surprised, of course, by that outcome. Uh, I think Arizona's um, going to end up one of the bottom two or three teams in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, UCLA also looked pretty good defensively in that game, and Josh Rosen. I know he takes a lot of criticism for being a little too cocky, overconfident, but there was one play that he made late in the second half where he was scrambling around, spun around, went on the run, and then just launched the ball toward the corner of the end zone and threw a perfect dime for a touchdown pass that reminded you why he's a potential number one overall pick in the future. He's he's really talented, and obviously he's younger than a Davis Webb um, or some of the other quarterbacks in this league who are, are, are very good. Uh, like Washington State and Washington have. But uh, if, I, if I'm drafting, I would take him, just given what I think he's going to be down the road. And they did switch to a pro-style offense this year, which is probably really uh, well-suited for uh, the type of quarterback that he is. And I just think that they're going to be a really solid team and, and, and tough to contend with the rest of the way. Last team to talk about, the uh, team sitting atop the Pac-12 South, and that's 21st-ranked Colorado. And you know this. You heard it here first, folks. We were on the Colorado train before they'd even played a Pac-12 game, and then, of course, they beat Oregon. Oregon's not as good as a lot of people thought you know, going into the season, as good as, as I thought, quite frankly, even though I picked Stanford to win the league. But now, what are they, 2-0 in the league? 2-0, two wins with their backup quarterback, Montez, who looks like the real deal. He's solid. And the 4-1 overall, the only 2-0 team in the Pac-12 South. Things are going to get harder now for Way Colorado harder. because they got a gauntlet of, uh, of their schedule coming up. You know, first they got to play at USC. I'm fascinated to see how that game's going to go. Um, and then... Let's you know we got UCLA ahead for ASU, but looking a week past that, Colorado at Colorado is going to be a really difficult game. ASU hasn't lost to Colorado, and I don't even know how many years. Yeah, um, never in the Pac-12. Never in the Pac-12. So I mean, it's been forever, but that is not a game where ASU is going to be favored at, at this point. I can't imagine. All of a sudden, if Colorado beats AS or excuse me beats USC this week. Colorado moves to three and zero in conference. USC drops to one and three in conference, and they'd hold the tiebreaker. Then, if ASU is able to beat UCLA, all Colorado needs to do is beat ASU to have a really good shot at winning the Pac-12 South. If Colorado beats USC, it's about a fifty-fifty uh, favorite with UCLA as long as UCLA uh, 
beats ASU. I think I think those are, you know, especially with Utah losing at Cal, I, I see them probably losing a few games. But what I I still will say that at the end of the at the end of this that six and three tie probably ends up winning the Pac-12 South. Interesting, interesting. Well, that will do it for our Pac-12 roundup. Cutting the episode a little bit shorter today so that we can get to the Sun Devil Source premium report and dive really deep into ASU's issues against USC. A lot of good things to cover in that podcast, so be on the lookout for that on Tuesday. This Sun Devil Source report, of course, will be out Monday evening, so... Be sure to tune in, drop in your rating for us on iTunes or whatever app you listen to us through your Do podcasting it. app. That we really helps. That. that really helps us, gets the word out, and then you can talk about the Sun Devil Source Report with your fellow football fans. Absolutely. And uh, KTAR, thanks to uh, the station for featuring our podcast. Um, so you can check it out on their site as well when you look at ASU coverage and make sure that you download our or stream our premium podcast, which is coming up in the next day or so, because there's going to be a lot more fleshing out of some of the things we talked about on this on this episode. Sun Devils 4-1 and one off a 41-20 loss to USC back at home this week against UCLA. For Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host and editor, Kerry Crowley. Thanks so much for tuning in.